if you could do me a favor, you know, if you ain't that busy, if you could throw us down a couple blessings, you know, like one that I don't mess up being a manager. Uh, we're just three cats and never played a single snap. Here to tell you how to draft when the ship and run it back. The stats ain't tell the story, this is the story of the stats. You can stick it to your friends, what's more glorious than that? We're victorious in rap, bringing wrath to our rivals. We're here to shun the stats, laugh, and lead you all the titles. Stick to the path and follow us disciples. The only sin is math, and all you need is the Bible. It's the fantasy. Bible. It's the fantasy. Bible. It's the fantasy. It's the Fantasy Bible. I am your host, Nate Biner. I'm here today with Dane. Dane, why is it the people that you love the most are the ones that end up hurting you? Um, it's because when you love someone, you open yourself up to being vulnerable. And that is a foolish, weak thing to do. You should build a wall, uh, an ironclad steel wall of an emotional barrier around you so that you neither let nobody in and then uh, they cannot hurt you. That's yeah, that's healthy, right? Yeah, I mean, you begin to believe, you know, like you get you fall into the same traps. You think this time it's going to be different. And then the Eagles, they go out and they re-sign Derek Barnett. He was gone. He was gone. The guy was gone. Mr. Offsides, Mr. Four and a half sacks in the past two seasons. He was off your team. You were free of him. And now he's back on a two-year contract. I don't know what's happening. That's not the lead. The lead is Tyree Kill. But this is my lead because, I mean, what the heck? (laughs) Yeah, I had no idea where you were going with that. Uh, Definitely didn't expect an Eagles take. I should have because why would we lead with the biggest news of the (laughs) offseason? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny because – you say that, and it's like, it, to me, this is the biggest news of the offseason. Like, every single thing that's happened so far, from Deshaun getting traded, to Rodgers re-signing, to Brady coming back, to the Wilson trade, to even mm. the Devontae trade, was forecasted in some way. But this is like, um, I don't know, it's like, like the, the speed with which the Tyreek Hill transaction took place. If, if you're not aware, Tyreek Hill has been traded to the Miami Dolphins for a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and a, a bundle of other fourth- and sixth-round picks. Um, and it happened in, what, the span of an hour that it was announced that trade talks were happening and that the trade was essentially consummated to the Dolphins. Yeah, this has to be – I don't think I'm exaggerating, but this has to be the fastest life cycle of – rumors to trade happening that has probably ever happened in the modern reporting environment of like Twitter, you know, all these insiders, you know, they have deep relationships with the front offices of these NFL teams so that they can be the first one to break the rumor and then get proved right a couple of days or weeks later, sometimes months later, sometimes it doesn't happen, but there were no rumors until I think two hours before the trade was finalized. All of a sudden we're it's like afternoon and Oh, Tyree kill might be traded. They can't seem to come to a deal. He might be out of the chiefs and then a couple follow-up rumor tweets and then boom, by lunchtime he's traded. What happened? Yeah. I mean, okay. Well, I, I can break it down for you because uh, Daniel Jeremiah did a wonderful job of breaking it down for me. And what I believe are the, most realistic terms, or there's there's some other perspectives that are interesting. But what Daniel Jeremiah had to say is essentially um, 
the the Chiefs franchise tagged Orlando or Orlando Brown pretty early on in, in the process because obviously you have to submit your franchise tag by a certain deadline, and that locks down that cap money for for this year. And so essentially, that money and like Mahomes, Mahomes like counts for a very limited amount against the cap this year. So there were there wasn't a lot of things that they could do to free up the money to give Tyreek Hill a contract that he wanted um, because of that money locked up with Orlando Brown. Um, And so it's basically the difference between a rookie wide receiver and Orlando Brown or a rookie left tackle and Tyreek Hill. Now, some people uh, believe, and this probably weighs into it, that um, the Chiefs simply didn't want to make Tyreek Hill the highest paid receiver. Um, They already have a lot of money dedicated to Travis Kelsey. They didn't want to like, you know, add that much more money to their receiving core when they still have Patrick Mahomes, they still have the, the foundation of that offense. But to me, it's like Tyreek Hill makes that whole thing go as much as anybody except for Mahomes on, on that whole thing. I mean, Tyreek Hill turned Alex Smith into a downfield passer. Like he is elite, elite, but he's also uh, entering his age 28 season. So does age factor in? Do they think he'll lose his speed? Wh- where do you come down on the trade? Like, did, did someone win it in, in your mind? Is it is it a fair deal all around? What, what's what's your thought? Um, so I I do think it comes from a, a, a sorry a, a cap cap salary dilemma for the Chiefs. Yeah, they couldn't pay him, and ultimately he wanted to be the highest paid wide receiver in the league. He got what he wanted, but he couldn't get it from the Chiefs. And I think that's just two sides of the coin here. Like they couldn't end up on the same side, whether the Chiefs wanted to or not. Do I think the Dolphins overpaid? Probably. But uh, I mean, they have a cheap quarterback too, still on his rookie deal. So uh, nobody would fault them if they go on to win. But I don't necessarily know that the Dolphins are a team that are just like a piece or two away from a deep playoff run. I think they can potentially make the playoffs if Tua is in fact, a good quarterback who will be on the roster going forward. So I think the Chiefs, knowing that they couldn't resign or they couldn't extend Tyreek Hill this year and he would have been a free agent next year and they wouldn't have nearly the leverage to trade after this offseason, I think they just got ahead of it and realized, well, let's be smart about this. We can't get what we want, and that would be Tyreek Hill. So let's get as much as we can from somebody else. And allegedly Tyreek Hill liked the Dolphins, and that's where he ended up. Yeah, spends his off seasons in Miami, no income tax. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of what Miami did. I mean, I, I like the Rams approach of getting these known star quantities because first round picks are are such a, a, a crapshoot anyway. And they had like the 29th pick. And, and, and so it's a late first rounder anyway. Like the, the receivers that are even going to be available there to the Chiefs could be questionable unless like a, mm-hmm. a Chris Olave happens to fall or something like that. So I, I'm a big fan because to me, there's no, there's no receiver that brings like, you know, an extra element to your offense more than Tyree Kill. He, he's his change of direction and speed is top of class. Like there's no one better. So mm-hmm. it, to me, it's, it's crazy that the Chiefs would give up up on him, but I also understand like, Andy Reid's been doing this for two decades at this point. Like he's had plenty of sec- success without Tyree Kill. He knows that he can run an offense with the best quarterback of our current generation without paying $25 million to a wide receiver. So I do get it. But uh, to me, I think I would have tried to make something work with Tyree Kill if I was the Chiefs. Just to, But uh, the other uh, thing we got to note, I don't know if I fully agree with this, but uh, – 
the whole single high, two high safety dilemma where a lot of teams, mm. because of Brandon Staley, are trying to take away the explosive play by paying two safeties high and that limiting the, the quote-unquote limiting the value of an explosive receiver like Tyreek Hill. And so you have, you know, Juju now, you can play more in the trenches. I think maybe while Reed does have the perspective to know he can play differently, I, I don't think that's a real reason why they uh, made the trade. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think it was what they wanted. Um, definitely not. If the salary cap was higher for them, they would have re-signed him with the money he wanted. Because, yeah, like you're saying, we realize it at home. They realize it as coaching staffs. It's their job to understand the talent they have. And the way they've utilized Tyreek Hill so far proves that they understand what they have, how to use it, how it can change their dynamic of their offense. And, yeah, it certainly wasn't their uh, – priority to be shipping out Tyreek Hill this offseason. Nobody expected that necessarily. Uh, you want to play a little game? Yeah, I like games. Uh, I'll say, I'm going to say four different players, and you say immediately the round that comes to mind that you think they'll get drafted in in redraft next this, or this upcoming season. Okay, okay. Okay, Jalen Waddle. Round... Uh, back of the round slow. three. Back around three. Back around three. Tyree Kill. Beginning of round three. No, back around two. Back around two. Juju Smith Schuster. Late fourth. Marquez Valdez Scantling. Eighth round. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's. He's no, going to the... get drafted way higher than that. He's going to get so sure. That's what I was just going to say. He's going to get yeah. overhyped like Miko Hardman has the past four or three seasons, however long it's been now. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what him. it is with the Chiefs and trying to make mediocre fast receivers work. Like, it's like they, they got Tyreek Hill. Just keep Tyreek Hill and add a different element to your offense. Like, we'll see who they draft. Hopefully, they can pick up like a George Pickens or something like that. Um, or a lot of it falling to them would be awesome. But yeah, I uh, it's I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting move, um, and I think I agree with all your other assessments. Like I, I was thinking, mid to late second for Tyreek now because, like, Tua. I mean, Tua does not have a lot of fans. Yeah, and not have a lot it, of admirers out there. And say. even the admirers can agree that he is no Patrick Mahomes. So those extended plays that Mahomes is capable of where Tyreek Hill somehow is now 60 yards down the field <laughs> after yeah. three, three seconds, you know, he evades one tackle rolls to the right, launches it sideways parallel to the ground. Like that opportunity is not going to be there the same way in Miami that it has been for the chiefs. So that take the cap off the defense on any single play Tyreek Hills on the field. He can score a touchdown on any play. That is a much more limited situation in Miami than, and, and I'm not even trying to say Tua was a bad quarterback. I believe that there is a chance he could be a great quarterback or at least a serviceable NFL quarterback, but we, uh, <laughs> I don't think we need to have an argument whether he could be the next Patrick Mahomes. I think an underrated aspect of this, the more we talk about it is Tyreek Hill could end up having like the best, full PPR season of his life. Next that's year. a fair point. See, yeah. that's something that we, we can get into as the off season unfolds is does this make him a more consistent asset? Maybe because even during his most explosive days, he was known as a boom or bust player. He could get you 40 fantasy points or he could get you four just because maybe it was one catch for 30 yards, but, and that could break the whole game wide open for the 
NFL team of the Chiefs, but for your fantasy roster, it didn't always feel great. But he could win you a week. I, I think he can still win you weeks in Miami, but maybe his floor moves up and his ceiling moves down a little bit somewhere into the middle. Yeah, just the target volume for Waddle was insane. And you got to think they're going to want to flow through Hill just as much, if not more, as well. Yeah, and as much as this does hurt Waddle's outlook, I think that they benefit off each other. Like, um, you need two weapons on an offense. Otherwise, you get what you saw from Waddle, uh, 13 targets a game, and they're all six yards deep into the defense. So I, I think this opens things up for their – uh, like their weekly ceiling maybe, or just maybe Waddle's weekly ceiling. Cause obviously Tyreek is not going to be the same asset. Very fair. And then final Tyreek thing before we get into our main segment or Tyreek Tyreek tangential thing here is, I don't know what the, Oh, we already said that with Mark because about his scaling. What was it? $10 million a year. Yeah. Which seems to be the going I mean, rate that's for Zay uh, Jones money. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Christian Kirk money though. Yeah, yeah. Although I would view them not too far apart. Christian Kirk probably a better wide receiver with more potential to grow than what we've seen out of MBS. Well, it's crazy. Is like I think DJ Chark is better than both those guys, and he got one year ten million. So it's like mm-hmm. same annual value, but not the not the security or length of guaranteed like long term guaranteed money. It's, it's wild. Probably uh, part, partly because he was on the Jaguars. I think that. <laughs> yeah, that probably depresses his value plus injury history and whatnot. Okay, are you ready to get into our uh, main segment here today? Yes. What are we doing today, Nathan? We are uh, doing running backs. The, we are back. It's dynasty season. We have done the wide receiver episode. My tastes have slightly changed since then. It's more or less the same, except Chris Olave has been climbing his way up in, in my uh, my heart and mind. Um, but other than that, I think I, I hold true on what we talked about with wide receivers. And now we are going to get into running backs. And here's the thing. As a dynasty league uh, member, I, I don't know what to do. It's dynasty team owner. You're trying to find your franchise running back, right? You know, the, the running back that defines your roster. For me, it was Nick Trubb. I traded Nick Chubb away. Now it's Antonio Gibson. We'll see how that goes. Fortunately, I own the, the 101, so it might be a different player that we're going to talk about here today. But that's the whole deal. So we're going to be talking about these, uh, my top, I think, five running backs here with a couple honorable honorable mentions. And since they're, they're supposed to be franchise running backs, we'll be talking about the, uh, the franchise that most relates to them. And, and you'll see what you'll see what, what I mean once we get further further into that. All right. So who is the running back that we will all be drooling over come rookie draft season? That would be Brees Hall from Iowa State. Uh, have you heard of Brees Hall? Have you you know is he one that you've heard in the in the chatter the chatters? Yes, and the limited exposure I have to the chatter of draft season, I have indeed heard the name Brees Hall. He seems to be the consensus top uh, top ad here. Yeah, I've seen some uh, some people, some contrarian takes on Brees Hall, but definitely the consensus number one. Iowa State junior weighs two twenty six one, totaled fourteen hundred rushing yards, twenty touchdowns, and thirty seven receptions for three hundred and ten yards. Uh, his junior season for 5.8 yards per carry and he ran a 4.3940 which is probably close to a 4.45 in normal 40 years it seems like all the 40s are crazy inflated this year um and the pro comp that i've seen for him is actually 
Antonio Gibson, although he reminds me more of a uh, Javante Williams or maybe even a Miles Sanders type, just with his uh, tackle breaking ability. Um, so yeah, he's he is the undoubtable RB one in rookie dynasty drafts. Um, when I realized I was going to tank last season, this is the guy that I was thinking about. Although Kenneth Walker and Isaiah Spiller were in conversation, but after the explosive combine testing. Paul is a clear cut above the rest. And lately this week, there's steam now that he could be a first round draft pick, which is the first I've heard of any of these guys even sniffing the first round. Mm-hmm. So if Brees Hall goes late first round to Bills, Bucks, one of these teams, like, I mean, forget about it. He is going to skyrocket and lock in as the top dynasty prospect if he's not already. Uh, he's your well-rounded modern-day NFL running back. Tough downhill runner, great at breaking tackles, but he's also got lateral agility, very proficient as a pass catcher, uh, really excellent goal line work. You don't score 20 rushing touchdowns without a nose for the end zone. Um, yeah, I mentioned uh, Javante Williams. Uh, Cam Akers is another name. Cam Akers, different body type, but he has that contact balance where you know he like gets hit and maybe he spins almost like a top, but he's able to stay up. Um, just he's the increasingly rare bell cow back. Uh, one step that I liked is that he has five career touchdown runs of 75 or more yards. So he, he can hit the explosive play. Um, here are a couple cons for him. Uh, he's good at everything, but elite at nothing. Doesn't have game breaking speed or burst. He uh, has power back traits, but he's not like a true Derrick Henry power back, you know? And uh, let's see. Oh, oh yeah. This this is one that like is barely worth mentioning because I feel like this is always true of college prospects, but he bounces to the outside when he should hit holes inside uh, every once in a while. And I feel like that, that happens all the time. Um, also, he's got that that Jonathan Taylor workload, that 800 career touch, like mm, okay. freshman, sophomore, massive production every year, but also massive workload. Um, so my my number one tape takeaway is that he's just like very dangerous as a receiver, like not just a competent pass catcher, a highlight reel, one-handed pass mm. catcher, and a great uh, yak, you know, a pass catcher, like kind of uh, Kamara-esque in ways, but not as elusive and shifty. But like what that's what he looks like when he's catching the ball sometimes. Um, and then also when he ran between the tackles, he had very good patience. Like he's a very patient Le'Veon Bell-esque. You know, he does the one hand on the back of the center and then, you know, hits the <laughs> gap um, kind of situation. Um, so that's Brees Hall. The franchise that I have for Brees Hall, uh, Brees Hall is Shrek. Uh, because the Shrek franchise, you know, it doesn't hold a candle to some of the truly elite early 2000s animated franchise like to- Toy Story, Finding Nemo. It has all the hallmarks of a premier movie franchise, has plenty of diehard fans, and has all the upside to be at the top of its game, like when Shrek 2 was the highest grossing movie of 2004. <laughs> all right. Uh, hopefully he has as many layers as an ogre. Um, we'll have to find out come draft season. Um, I do have a question that would hopefully contextualize for the broad audience we have that, uh, maybe helps come draft season. So if Najee Harris was in this draft class, who would go first and, and why? Um, Najee Harris would go first because, uh, one Najee Harris has the sec pedigree. He has, he is a, uh, thicker 
I guess you could say more premier build. Um, and I like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there was like something of a worry about Najee Harris that uh, he wasn't going to have much, he, his receiving talent was called into question. And then he did a bunch of like workouts at either his pro day or at the combine that kind of like put that to rest. That's what I kind of vaguely remember about Najee Harris. I think Najee Harris would go first for being an all around more closer to a, like a top end running back prospect. Um, Brees Hall uh, is, doesn't have like elite strength size or speed. And I think you could say that Najee Harris has closer to those things. I don't know if he has those things exactly, but I would say he is much closer to those things. Okay. So does that, uh, analysis also extrapolates to the world of fantasy football would you feel the same way on your own fantasy rosters drafting those guys like you have the one-on-one right now let's assume they both go to desirable places you're looking at Najee Harris or Brees Hall you need a running back would you still go Najee Harris oh no so yeah no um if it's the one-on-one uh I'm thinking I'm talking rookie drafts only like you know you have a lot of choices for the one-on-one I would go Jonathan Taylor yeah. No, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah. if if Najee Harris was in this running back class, oh yeah, and, I would. You would, I would still go, take him first. It would depend on where Brees Hall got drafted, but yeah, okay, I think but it's close. It, it's tough because we don't know what quarterback is going to look like uh, for the Steelers this year. But if it was like the Steelers last year and how I felt about the Steelers last year compared to how I feel about Brees Hall this year, and depending on where he goes, I think it would still be Najee Harris. Yes. Okay. Okay. That, that, that at least helps me uh, think about this player. Um, yeah. Hopefully. He's but it would a great be very asset. close. It would be very close. I mean, we saw he can do it all and the receiving upside is significant. Okay. Good to know. Okay. Um, now here's a player that like, I think certain people would probably have over Najee Harris, depending on who you talk to, not me personally. And that is uh, Kenneth Walker, the third of Michigan state He's a junior uh, transfer from Wake Forest where he spent his first two seasons, five, nine to 11, ran a four thirty-eight forty, 40 uh, ran for 1600 yards and 18 touchdowns this year at 6.2 yards per carry in the big 10, which is not an easy division to do that. Uh, has 13 catches for 89 yards, and the comp that I have seen for him that I like is J.K. Dobbins. Um, so I think a lot of people do have Kenny Walker as their RB1, and for good reason. He had the most dominant rushing season this year. Um, the issue is compared to Brees Hall, who had three years of excellent production, is uh, Walker's kind of a one-year wonder. He didn't do that much at Wake Forest, and then he transferred to Michigan State and exploded uh, this year. He has power, speed, uh, and he can handle the bell cow workload, uh, fantastic vision. Um, he doesn't really dance around ever in the backfield. He sees a hole and he explodes through it. Uh, very good change of direction and balance. And he's a much more, I would say, like suddenly explosive runner than uh, Brees Hall is. But there are major cons to his game. One is uh, very limited work as a receiver, did not catch the ball a lot at all, which obviously could limit his third down usage at the NFL level. Uh, terrible at pass protection. Uh, I, I like I noticed this, and then 
the the phrase that was used to describe it in one of the uh, articles that I was reading through was uh, blocks like he doesn't want to get hurt, and that's like obviously mm. not something you want to you want to hear from uh, someone that's supposed to stay on the field in an NFL situation. And um, he's not an elite athlete, but that goes for like there aren't a lot of elite athletes in, in the running back room in this class. Uh, elite athletes have sort of trended towards receiver as the years have have gone on um the uh the the tape my number one tape takeaway was that um he has the breakaway next level speed like what did i say that Brees hall ran okay so Brees hall ran a 439 and kenny walker ran a 438 40 but that's to me it's a situation where the 40 does not necessarily translate to the game speed. Like I thought we saw like significantly slower than Kenneth Walker. And then he's very good at just like finding the edge and making guys miss on the edge. Um, so I like that. The franchise I have for him is Taco Bell. Uh, Taco Bell is an excellent uh, Mexican fast food franchise that does one thing really, really well. And that is Mexican food. But every once in a while, Taco Bell does something out of the ordinary. And all of a sudden, they'll be selling waffles or French fries. And I'm not saying that Taco Bell can't sell waffles or French fries, but I don't know if they have enough of a history of doing it to excel at doing it at a high level. And so that's Kenny Walker. And then when Taco Bell tries to do those out-of-the-box things, it somehow makes you question whether you should keep that place in your repertoire of go-to scenarios. And that's yeah. what I'm worried about when you mentioned that he blocks like he's afraid to get hurt because that is something that a rookie running back will get pulled off the field for immediately. We saw it with, most notably in my memory, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. First year Brady was there. You know, all this hype, uh, will he potentially beat out Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette for a, a role on this offense? He <laughs> let Tom Brady get hit, and we didn't really see him ever again. And that's, depending on where, where Kenneth Walker goes, that's something I'm very concerned about. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't limit, like, a team that is interested in him. It, it's not going to limit a team's interest in him, but it's going to limit his fantasy production, if that makes right. sense, because he's not going to be able to stay on the field in third-down situations, and right. that's going to be problematic. So uh, that's that's the issue, because like he has the talent that's going to appeal to a team, but there's going to there could be a usage issue. So that's that's Kenny Walker, but I will say that like it's like 60-40 how many people have Hall number one and how many people have walker number one okay yeah i didn't know it was that close because i've only heard Brees hall as the touted you know lead uh, running back talent here so I hall didn't know is your do it i hall is your do it all guy walker is the best runner in the class okay that makes yeah. more sense yeah. and then another thing to pay attention to there when we're talking about this guy could come off the field is that he won't be on the field for uh, two minute drills, most likely, unless the team just has a dire need and has nobody else. But a guy like that, who's not a specific talent at pass catching or pass blocking, he will not be in those, you know, hurry up offenses where we have half time. PPR or... is just like the juicy little, you know, exactly. you want the, you want Kamara, the guy that's catching the dump offs and running out of bounds three plays in a row before they hit a play action you know, before halftime. Exactly. And those drives are so juicy for the short yardage guys, like a running back because, okay, nobody's open. Can't waste too much time. It's been two seconds in the pocket and dump off to my running back. He gets a PPR point, gets four yards, runs out of bounds. Like, so you're missing that, that opportunity. If you like that, you're going to love James Cook. 
<laughs> well, uh, we could get to that guy. Is he next on your list? He's not next. Next okay. is Damian Pierce. Um, so Damian okay. Pierce, 5'10", 215, senior at the University of Florida, uh, 574 rushing yards and 13 touchdowns at 5.7 yards per carry and uh, 19 catches for 216 receiving yards. Uh, I think that Pierce has the potential to be the best maybe second best running back in this class. And you're probably thinking 574 rushing yards. Can this guy be a bell cow back? That is kind of the big question because he did like split his workload the entire time that he was at UF, but there's context there because they ran one of the weirdest pass first offenses you've ever seen. And uh, even it was especially strange because especially last year when they were running the ball, they looked fantastic doing it. They just didn't do it enough. Um, And so that combined with Pierce splitting his carries, I think really limited his production and the fact that he was able to notch 13 touchdowns, which is, you know, like a a full season of touchdowns right there uh, shows that, you know, he has that, uh, key goal line usage that's really valuable in the NFL. Um, there are, I would say, like, you know, the classic thing is that there are reasons why players' production suffer and excuses. And I would say this is, means a lot closer to reason than excuse for Damian mm. Pierce. Uh, a, absurdly powerful runner. Actually, you know, this is like, uh, you know, Dan, do you have any uh, NFL topics you can? Uh, talk about while I pull up a play real quick. Cause like I could show you a play Damian Pierce that just one play will like sum up everything you need to know. And you sure. can de- I like um, describe it. So just, uh, just kill time for a little bit while I do that. Sure. I'm going to talk about my boy, Chase Edmonds. So uh, he originally got traded in the off early off season to the Miami Dolphins. And I thought, well, maybe this could be a good opportunity. I'm not so sure. They shortly thereafter signed Raheem Mostert. Um, both decent running backs in their own right, but they've never really had a true command in the backfield. And then later into the offseason, as we had just talked about in length, the Dolphins trade for Tyreek Hill. Now you're asking, what does this have to do with Chase Edmonds? I'll tell you what it has to do. Better players on the offense means more sustained drives, more scoring opportunities, more goal line opportunities for the running backs. And this would lead you to believe that Chase Edmonds will have more scoring opportunities. And I would contend that he has just as much of a, an ability to maintain that RB1 role as um, Raheem Mostert does. Raheem Mostert coming off injury. Chase Edmonds also coming off some injury last year, but not quite as detrimental. So uh, also younger than Raheem Mostert. I'm hopeful optimistically uh, because I am biased and have Chase Edmonds in my dynasty league that he could actually be a serviceable, maybe running back 20 on the year. So I'm hopeful. That's where I got. All right. Thank you for that breakdown on Chase Edmonds. Uh, I don't agree with any of it, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's purely through rose colored glasses. <laughs> um, so this is Damian Pierce. This is a, a play I'm going to show uh, Dane. Um, we made this maybe a video podcast. Maybe you'll see it for yourself. Uh, if not, we'll describe it. You'll, you'll get it. This is Damian Pierce uh, on a first and 10 against uh, in the red zone, maybe 15 yards out from uh, playing against Florida State. I'll just press play here. All right. All right. So what happened there is uh, he cut through the gap. He ran upfield. 
he broke a tackle that knocked his helmet off and then he continued to run and dive headfirst into a bevy of defenders that were waiting for him in the end zone and powered through them for the touchdown. And that's uh, that's kind of the Damian Pierce story. Obviously, as an FSU fan, that play kind of stuck out in my mind and was uh, one that appeared in basically every reel that I watched of Damian Pierce. Very powerful runner, uh, tough as nails, tackle breaking, a little bit of elusiveness to his game as well. Um, decent receiving production, but he's not like a natural catcher of the football, but he's definitely capable. Um, got the nasty stiff arm. Uh, one of the things I read described him as an armored vehicle style of runner. Um, could end up being like a James Conner in the NFL where he does like short yardage work between the, tunny, the 20s that maybe amounts to 700, 800 rushing yards, but then he also scores 10 plus receiving or 10 plus touchdowns rather every year. Uh, from the goal line work. So uh, the cons would be that he's not particularly fast or explosive. Um, he wasn't super productive in college and he's a little older because he is a senior. Um, so no real major flaws there except the, the, the production. Oh, and my number one take, takeaway was that he has the Zeke uh, falling forward thing, which is what I've always loved about Zeke is he just constantly turns two and three yard runs into four and five yard runs by just falling forward. And Pierce does that like on seemingly every play where he gets tackled. So love a running back that does that. My franchise for him is the Angry Birds Extended Universe uh, because no running back prospect quite captures the feeling and essence of destruction, quite like Damian Pierce. And like the popularity of the game itself, the popularity of a true power back is waning in the NFL, but still has a role on the field, our minds, and in our hearts. So that's Damian Pierce. All right. Yeah, I'm a fan just from that one highlight play. I love that kind of dedication to the craft. I mean, the sharp, the, the cut looked sharp. The determination was there. Contact balance, as we like to say contact balance gets so overused, but like, that's what, that's a prime example of what they mean. Mm -hmm. You get hit up high, you should be falling over or stumbling, but he kind of maneuvers his body in an expert way and maintains forward momentum. Don't know how physics can't explain it. This is just what you hope to see from a running back. Um, one thing I do want to know, where is this guy going to go in the NFL draft? Is this like a third round guy, fourth round guy? Because we already talked about, we don't think there could he might maybe no running backs go in the first round. So assuming Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker go in the second, how far behind those guys is uh, Pierce? Uh, I would say no later than the fourth round and no earlier than the third round. So okay. I would, uh, an easier way to say that would be third, third, fourth round. <laughs> okay. That's, yeah. that's what I was expecting. Um, you definitely don't want him drafted later than that. Cause he might just end up. Irrelevant. But that's fine for running backs these days, you know, like, on the 49ers, it is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, like, you know, I I think most good running backs these days are, are drafted. Like, Antonio Gibson was a third-round pick. Miles Sanders was a second-round pick. Mm -hmm. You know, Kamara was a fourth-round pick. Like, I think running back talent is one of the most, you know, throughout the draft. I don't know how to say that. They, the richest in the later rounds than all the other positions. Yeah, I do think that's a good point. Yeah, it's uh, not a position that is often drafted in the first round. It's almost unusual to get those guys. Like the fact that Najee Harris was drafted in the first round and Travis Etienne, that was kind of like not really expected. It, it was 
nobody would have been surprised if they fell to the second round is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. You know. And I, you know, a common point is that every like running back drafted after CEH is better than CEH, you know, <laughs> like Do- Dobbins, Akers, all those guys that went after him are, are have had better careers and, and look better. So, well, not necessarily better careers with the injury, but uh, for to Dobbins mm-hmm. but, and Akers, but you understand. So, um, yeah. So I don't think there, it's a problem if he goes to a, a good team with opportunity in the third round. Obviously, that's what's going to determine all this stuff is where do they get drafted. All right. And then who, who is the next guy on your list? So I assume you're doing these in your ranking order. Like he's third on your board. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say that he's third on my board. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this guy's fourth. Um, he's uh, Isaiah Spiller. Um, he has some, a lot of, he's a lot of consensus, second, third, uh, and some people's first round pick, uh, first round ranked running back rather six foot two seventeen, very slow. Ran like a four, six, something at his pro day had a thousand rushing yards and six touchdowns at Texas A&M. So he has that sec pedigree, uh, for five and a uh, 5.7 yards per carry. Actually, my comp for him is James Robinson. I can't remember the other ones that he's seen. I, I don't know if he necessarily looks similar to James Robinson, but when I get into it, like I've kind of like soured on him a little bit as the season has gone on or as the off season rather has gone on because he has such limited athletic potential. He's like so slow in the open field. Um, but he's someone that when you watch him during games, he just reminds you of James Robinson. And he he looks like he's moving in slow motion, and yet he's making people miss. He's got that slow juke where he'll like mm. plant one leg and then make the cut, and it doesn't look fast, and yet the, the guy misses. Uh, and he's also got like the bruising size. Um, he's got the size for the volume, the build for the volume. Probably one of the best blockers we've talked about so far, which is very significant uh, to, for where these guys get taken. He's got the complete NFL skill set in terms of reading lanes, modulating his speed, um, and he can catch. But to me, he's just kind of juice deficient. Um, you can tell he has very little explosive traits uh, on tape, and that was reflected by the testing. I think uh, I kind of compared him to Rashad Bateman as a receiver where he has like the skill set and the football intelligence that could translate to the NFL, but he could also be physically limited to, you know, short yardage work essentially. Uh, And he has the type of, uh, but he's like very hyped and he's going in the first round of rookie drafts. Um, So to me, like I would rather take a Damian Pierce in the second or third round of a rookie draft than, uh, Isaiah Spiller, like third overall in a rookie draft. Uh, Tyler Algier is another person that I think has a similar skill set that you can get a much better value later. Uh, my franchise for him is Hardee's because when you get a burger from Hardee's, it has all the components of a fast food burger. It's got the bun, the meat, the cheese, the ketchup, grease, pickles. It's all there. But fast food is just more than just the components of the food. And so despite that, it's like 95% of the same ingredients as like you know, a Whopper or a Big Mac or a Baconator, it just doesn't hit that upper echelon. So uh, it may be a completely serviceable lunch, but it could be one that you overpay for and it doesn't leave you fully satisfied. Um, so Isaiah Spiller. <laughs> All right. Me, not a fan of Arby's in particular. I'm turned off by that comparison. And I was never into that whole description before that of Isaiah Spiller. He, yeah, he seems like he has a place in an offense in the NFL, 
but it seems like he probably is not a three down back and certainly will not be an explosive weapon on an offense. And for fantasy, if we're talking about ceiling players, it doesn't seem like he has much of that unless he he found like a power running offense. And those are a few and far between anymore. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's important to note, like, like these are very colored by my personal tastes, you know, like, Mm -hmm. If you go out there and research Isaiah Spill or anyone listening, you will find a lot of glowing stuff out there and you will find him uh, ranked significantly above Brees Hall, even in some lists um, because of, uh, you know, what Isaiah Spiller can do in pass protection. So I, uh, I, I'm low on him because I like guys with more juice, but it's, it's definitely colored by my thoughts here. What's like the ideal team that uh, just off the top of your head, like if he went to that team, you would be like, okay, now I like this guy more than, uh, than I did pre-draft. What's a team that's like the Browns, but isn't the Browns. Um, maybe the Ravens, not quite though, but um, I don't know. I mean, teams that need running back could be the Atlanta Falcons, the Buffalo bills could be, um, I don't know. If he went to the Titans, I would be pretty excited. Um, because if from a dynasty perspective, you got to think Derrick Henry's getting up there. And if they want to keep that same style, um, they could kind of groom him to be the replacement. Yeah. I'm, I'm also like reminded AJ Dillon is obviously like, he's got like some ridiculous strength aspects to him, but like, that's the kind of role that I, that I see in okay. I'm try, having just some trouble like placing him on an exact team because it's it's hard to say like like I would love to have him on the Eagles to be honest you know because the Eagles run the ball so much and he could do he can do different things than than a Miles Sanders or a Kenny Gainwell can do so um, yeah I, I don't know it, it's a tough one but we'll see where he ends up and then we can kind of make a call from there uh, the Jets the Jets would be really interesting. He would be like yeah. a very reliable all around running back tar- target for Zach Martin. Zach, Zach, Zach Wilson. <laughs> Zach Wilson. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, yeah. So much of these analyses could be, uh, you know, adjusted after the draft. So, uh, yeah, definitely delusions of grandeur if we're trying to predict how, how these guys will be for fantasy just yet. But, uh, still good that we understand who they are as players before that so we can get excited or saddened. Uh, so I assume that the next guy is James Cook. James Cook. James Cook. And you'll see why he's the next guy. Although, like, there's there's rankings and there's favorites, and he's my favorite. Um, but, okay. you know, I love Dalvin, obviously, for, for the FSU stuff and he, what he's done in the league since he entered it. But James Cook is – much smaller guy, 5'11", 190, uh, built like a wide receiver, uh, senior out of the University of Georgia, 728 rushing yards, seven touchdowns and 27 catches for 274 yards. Uh, and this is sort of interesting. He ran a 4'4", 4 4 at, uh, at the combine, which is slower than Brees Hall. It's slower than Kenny Walker. It's slower than a lot of the guys we've talked about. And I would say that he's faster than anyone that we have talked about uh, so far, which is remarkably similar to Dalvin who ran a four, four, one. And like, you would say that Dalvin is one of the fastest running backs in the league, right? Like, you know, in the open field. So sometimes these guys just look different on the field than they do. uh, than they do when running the 40 or they don't have the right technique. So 
Uh, I think James Cook is the fastest guy we've talked about, despite the 40 time not exactly aligning with that. Um, as far as the production, everyone from the linebackers to the edges, to even the quarterbacks split time at Georgia. So I wouldn't worry about the lower level of production, although obviously he's not going to have like 728 rushing yards might be his ceiling in the NFL. He might have like a Kamara-esque role where his passing yardage is equivalent to his uh, rushing yardage. He's very much a mini Dalvin Cook, and I would say that he could be even better as a receiver, very nimble with the ball in his hands. Uh, Georgia would regularly scheme him up targets and scheme him up one-on-one situations. Uh, He was a featured point of their offense. Very fast, incredible hands. One drop on 68 targets throughout his college career. Uh, Also very quick to reach his top speed. Not much of a between-the-tackles runner, but not so small or so weak that he was like a liability in the run game. Um, reminds me of Alvin Kamara without that joystick change of direction ability, uh, but his role could be very similar in the NFL. Cons were that he's kind of high cut, uh, cut a little bit like a receiver, not a lot of wiggle, uh, change of direction, or contact balance. He's more of a get in the open field and get that straight line speed going. Um, small and skinny, his role will be limited in the NFL, but could be very limited on goal line work. Uh, not a super tough inside runner and uh, does not pass protect. Like he just was not not involved in pass protection at all. Um, so he could end up as like, you know, a hybrid almost slot receiver role in the NFL. Um, will struggle against linebacker blitzes. You, you blitz a linebacker against him, he'll die. Um, so uh, the tape, uh, what, what, I don't know what this says. If he hits the hole, he's gone. Oh, oh, okay. I capitalized a word that that shouldn't be capitalized in this sentence. Um, but basically, he hits the hole and he's gone. And then he doesn't go down easy as you would think. Like Devontae Smith asking that, you know, he may be very late for his position, but he's tough. Uh, just not inside runner, goal line runner tough. Okay. So what, what's it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, oh, I got the franchise, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, please. Uh, So it's the Guardians of the Galaxy, specifically the Guardians of the Galaxy 2. um, Because, you know, the Guardians, the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, similar to Dalvin Cook, it kind of set a new standard uh, for what it does, and specifically superhero movies, moved to this more focus on interpersonal dynamics, a little more self-awareness about the absurdity of what they're doing, a focus on internal conflict that was just as powerful as the external conflict. Uh, Just like guys like Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara established what the new running back position looks like in the NFL, smaller, more elusive, excellent receiving traits. And then comes the sequel, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and it's great, but it's not quite as good as the original. It's not quite as fresh. The writing's not quite as sharp, and there's still a lot there. And it might even do so some things better than the original. It has one of the best lines in superhero movie history. He might be your father, but he's not your daddy, which is, uh, I mean, just a, just a classic line. Uh, yeah, so Guardians of the Galaxy 2, uh, that sort of franchise vibe would match it. Matt James Cook, which is another favorite of mine. I mean, who doesn't love the Guardians of the Galaxy films? Yeah, those were excellent. Soundtrack alone could be, you know, reason to love it and great movie to back it up. Um, so where do you want this guy to go? Like, what type of offense do you think he would have the biggest role for fantasy football in? Like, like where can you get the most juice out of a guy like that? Like, you, like he could be like what people thought CEH was going to be. Um, 
So uh, it would be cool if he went to the Chiefs, um, the Raiders. I mean, like, you know, James White. There's going to be need, need to be a James White for Josh McDaniels. And uh, good point. That's actually a very good point. So I kind of like that um, situation there. Then, like, these are both teams with decent offensive lines as well. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think any, any team that has a, a you know, uh, like it would be terrible if he went to like, say the, the Washington commanders, like undraftable if he goes to somewhere where the quarterback's not going to hit a check down. Um, and you know, there, obviously there's more competition in the running back room, but they wouldn't take him. They, they had, they signed McKissick. That's like JD McKissick is, is not a bad comp for James Cook, to be honest. Um, so we didn't talk about this trade, but what if he went to the Colts with Matt Ryan at quarterback to somehow work in with Jonathan Taylor? I don't think it could happen, but like, is that type of offense a run heavy offense? Would he have a role if he went someplace like that? Yeah. Like the Kareem hunt to the next Chubb um, mm-hmm. situation, uh, uh, a compliment to David Montgomery filling in for what Tariq Cohen used to do mm-hmm. in Chicago. Um, that that's kind a better of, example, probably. Yeah, that kind of role definitely the, but the Colts specifically, no, like I don't think that would happen because of Naheem Hines. But mm-hmm. in terms of like filling that kind of role, yeah, he's a pass catching running back. But yeah, I think he's one with a lot of juice. Okay, so maybe that was a better question. Can he be like Naheem Hines? to the Jonathan Taylor if he's drafted behind a running back. Absolutely, I would say, yeah. Okay, which has a role for PPR, not so much for redraft to half PPR, but yeah. He can break, he can, he's, he's faster than these guys. Like he can break the long run, you know what I mean? Can he do backflips like Naheem Hines? (laughs) That I do not know, but I will get on that and report back. Bro, I thought you were scouting these guys. Come on, what are you doing? (laughs) Uh, I will read this. I'll see it. It might be in here. Um, So, yeah, that's that's the top five. I do have a couple honorable mentions I can run through really quick if if you want to hear them. Sure, if you just want to throw out a name and what you like about them. So these are guys, if you're at the late end of the first round, Actually, if you're at the late end of the first round, there's a good chance Damian Pierce is there and James Cook will definitely be there. Uh, the other three probably will not. But um, here's some guys that I think are kind of uh, could have significant roles in the NFL if they get drafted to the right team or have the right arc or if their trade's home true. Rashad White, Arizona State, very similar all-around RB1 profile to Brees Hall, but not as refined, uh, has the size and the build, very frenetic runner, but he has a very upright style that leaves him prone to losing his balance. Uh, Pro comp is Kenyon Drake. I thought that was a a perfect comp for him. Uh, Kyron Williams was thought to be one of the top running backs in this class um, and thought to be the top pass catching running back in this class, but he had an abysmal athletic testing at the combine. I think he ran like a four, seven, two. Um, So Notre Dame uh, running back, uh, comp star James White and Giovanni Bernard. Um, so definitely someone that can have a, a role just like we talked about, but lacking the juice of a James Cook, although a, a thicker build, maybe more durable. Uh, Pierre Strong, strong, fast running back out of South Dakota State, has all the tape measurables and testing, just played against weaker competition. Um, yeah, he, I mean, that's really it. He, he, he looked great, but he played at South Dakota State. And then Tyler Algier, uh, very much a just straightforward goal line bruiser uh, like Damian Pierce, but with a little less athletic upside, uh, James Conner, like I compared Damian Pierce to uh, 
is also him. Uh, I also should say BYU is where he is from, 511, 220. And those are the honorable mentions. It's an interesting running back class because, like, everyone has Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller and Kenny Walker in their top five somewhere. And, and then after that, it's like, you know, dealer's choice, essentially. Okay. So potential late round value if if you're trying to pick a rookie later in drafts, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's maybe not a terrible idea to gamble on those guys if they're in an agreeable spot. Yeah, as, far as I mean, team goes. It happens every year that some late round running back is is relevant, you know. Yeah, Elijah Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, that's the only one that I can name right now, but yeah. Yeah, same. Just recent memory bias. All right, do you have any uh, takes to get off before we get out of here? Um, no, still processing all the free agent news. It'll be interesting to kind of hash that out and see where all these offensive weapons rank on our our draft list going forward you know that's months away but uh it will be exciting to try to compare apples to apples here when we when all the dust settles from this head spinning free agency that we've had are you going to trade me terry kill um i'm thinking about it i'm thinking about it uh, i would need that 101 maybe <laughs> 101 hell no. 101 is worth more than tyree kill at this point he's like 90 years old uh how about the first swap and tyree kill that's uh, juicy. Like my, I have the one ten, for the one six. No, for the one hundred one. No, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair, but I I understand you put a lot of thought and effort into that pick, so I know it's probably In very Dynasty, hard to pry from. Twenty one year old uh, running back is, uh, I would say, more valuable than a twenty eight year old wide receiver going to a team where the quarterback uh, can't hit the broad side of the barn fast all right. all right well don't disparage his value too much we're trying to do ourselves favors here <laughs> so you know we'll work something out in the background maybe you know just say something good about tyree kill so his value doesn't tank entirely i would then, say tyree kill uh what's most likely going to happen is uh he'll look great in year two catching passes from cj stroud okay so potentially a life after Tua. all right well i hope so man i'm stuck with him nobody wants to trade for him right now because his value just went down and i don't want to fire sale all right yep that's a lot of running back to digest about a thousand Um, pounds of running backs there if you're looking for music the new charlie xcx album is uh is outstanding just you know 12 straight bangers comes in at like a tight 33 minutes i love a tight 33 minute album um so uh yeah that's uh i think we can probably close you can find us at fantasy bible pod on facebook instagram and twitter um yeah send us an email fantasy bible pod at gmail.com um hit us up on the fantasy bible.com in the contact section ask us questions uh, get to know us and yeah. uh we'll see you next week for something yep and don't forget build a wall between you and vulnerability don't don't open yourself to love <laughs>